Well, so I have to tell you, I was thinking this week about the conversations that I have had since you and I have been together last Sunday. Over the last seven days, I have been involved in some pretty weighty conversations. Uh, I've been involved in a lot of conversations, as have you, but some of them stick out in my memory as being heavy, uh, life-issue kinds of conversations. As an example, I've had some conversations with a couple of families this week who have buried loved ones, and so they're walking through the grief of loss and, uh, and uh, burying someone that they love. I've dealt with uh, uh, some conversations with several families where we were talking about life affecting illnesses, even terminal illnesses, and, the, and all that comes along with facing eternity and walking that journey and trusting in the Lord as you go. I've had some conversations with some people about spiritual understanding, you know, truth versus deception, and how do we know what's true, and how do we gauge uh, that, uh, that kind of thing. I've talked to some people about um, broken relationships, people who are just really in some relationships that ought to be good, but they're not. And they want them to be, and so they're, they're kind of hurting because of that. Uh, a marriage uh, that's really in difficult shape and, and where they would have thought it would have been wonderful, it's really the, kind of the opposite of that. Um, that's, that's real stuff, real life. I've, I've talked to one family about parenting issues, difficult family dynamics that have nothing to do with the marriage. It's just parenting issues and kind of family uh, dynamics. I talked to one uh, family about financial uh, needs that they have. I mean, it's a tough time that we're living in. Inflation is on the rise, as all of us know. And, and so talk to a family about economics and kind of how they're struggling with that. All of these things, and really others, but those are just some that I jotted down. These are all very real, very heavy life issues that all of us deal with from time to time in one way or another. Now, here's the thing. While while my conversations were a little different with each one of them, because the nuances are different depending on the situation, I was able to speak to every one of those uh, situations with the same truth. And here was that truth. It was simply to say to them that in all of these situations that I've been discussing, Jesus is enough. Amen? Do you believe that? Jesus is enough. It's true for all of those families that I'm describing. And it's true for your family. It's true for you and it's true for me. That no matter what it is that we're facing, what it is that we're carrying, what the hardship or the difficulty is, when we enter into these life circumstances, we can know for sure that Jesus is enough. And I'm telling you that this morning and affirming that to you because this is going to be our focus through the month of October. We are going to be thinking together through these five Sundays in October about how Jesus, our Lord, looked into the eyes of people and said to them, I am enough for you. Whatever you're facing, I'm enough. Whatever your hardship, whatever your loss, whatever your grief, I am enough you. And he does this as recorded in the book of John seven different times. John records for us from John 6 to chapter 15, he records for us seven different times where Jesus says, I am. I am enough. I am all that you need. And may I just stop and give you a word of personal testimony? Let me step out of the preaching mode for a second, just give you testimony mode. I've known Jesus personally for 40 
years. And in all of those years, he has always proven to be enough for me every single time. Jesus is enough. And we're going to be talking about that over these coming weeks. And this is the reason I've asked you to turn to John chapter number 6, because John 6 records for us a moment. Early in the ministry of our Lord, when he demonstrated in a powerful way, and in a satisfying way, his divine sufficiency, a moment in which Jesus showed himself to be enough. Now, many of you know the story in John chapter number six. You're well aware of the events recorded here where you have this event that we call the feeding of the 5,000. You familiar with that? Or the, we would maybe call it the multiplication of the fish and the loaves. Let me give you the context. It's rather early in Jesus' ministry in John 6. He has come and is preaching the kingdom of heaven. He is healing people. Many people are bringing their sick loved ones to him. He's healing them, raising them up. And as a result of that, his fame is growing and great crowds of people are beginning to follow him. And in chapter number six, there's one particular day where the crowds don't go home. They just stay with him into the evening. In fact, look at chapter number six and verse number two. The Bible says that a great multitude followed him because of his miracles, which he had did, which he did on them, which were diseased. And so he was performing miracles and these, these people came to him. Well, verse number five says, when the evening comes, Jesus lifted up his eyes and he saw a great company coming to him. Now there's the first description in verse 5, of this great multitude. It is a great host of people, unnamed, but just a sea of people coming to him there along the banks of the uh, Sea of Galilee. It goes on to describe this crowd in verse number 7. Where in verse number 7, Philip says, if we were to try to feed this, this many people, even just a little bit, it would take, now the King James says 200 penny worth. Let me translate 200 penny worth for you. It means 200 days wages. Okay? So he's saying we would have to work, listen, for eight months to earn enough money to feed this crowd just a morsel each. That's a lot of people. And finally, in verse number 10, the Bible tells us exactly the number of men that are there. Jesus said, make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place so that the men sat down and the number of the men was about 5,000. Now ladies, I'm sorry, but in this culture, the women would not have been counted in the number. So they didn't count men and women, they just counted women, or just counted men, and they wouldn't have counted the children. So when the text says there were 5,000 men, you can extrapolate from that about how many people there were, figure women and children, another 5,000 or more. So this is a crowd of 10,000, 11, 12, maybe even more than that, thousands of people who were there, and now it's time to tell them to sit down, we're going to feed them. Now, it's, a, it's an interesting uh, thing that happens in verses number 8 and 9, where Andrew demonstrates timid faith. It, it is faith, but it's timid. Look at verse number eight. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here, there's a lad here 
which has, now he's bringing some food to help feed this crowd. He has five barley loaves and two small fish. All right, everybody look up here. When you think of five barley loaves, you're probably thinking like I am, where you go into your favorite bakery and they make fresh bread every morning and they've got loaves of bread this big and these are five big, beautiful, steaming loaves. Which, by the way, if it was five loaves that big, it still wouldn't be nearly enough. But don't think that. Because it's not that. These are what we might refer to as pita. They're small little loaves of pita bread. Really, they're not even like pita you get in the grocery store. These would be more like crackers. It's one kid's lunch. Five crackers and two little fish, in all likelihood, out of the Sea of Galilee. And look at what verse number nine says. Andrew comes to Jesus with this timid faith and says, well, we got some bread and fish. Um, But look at his question at the end of verse nine. But what are they among so many? You ever been in a moment like this? Have you ever faced a circumstance where you went, it's, it's so overwhelming. It's so impossible. It's so broken. There's no way. I've got this little bit, but I mean, what in the world? How is this going to even make a dent in that? If there was ever a moment where it was the picture of lack, this is it. If there was ever a moment where you're looking at insufficiency, inadequacy, this is it. Five loaves, two fish, 10,000 plus people, and it's not enough. But guess who is enough? Say it with me. Jesus is enough. Amen? And because Jesus is enough, he says, tell him to sit down. And he asks the blessing. And he starts serving. And Jesus is enough, so he fed every person, not a morsel, but until they were full. The text is very clear to tell us. They were full, and then they took up 12 baskets of leftovers. If you believe your Bible, shout amen. Amen. I do too. Jesus is enough. And this moment of the multiplication is such a a display of the power, the miracle-working power of Christ You might imagine that it left quite an impression on the people who were fed that day and on every person that they told. You probably wouldn't be surprised at what happened the next morning either. That's what we're going to read about. Look at verse 22. It's John chapter 6 beginning in verse number 22. The following day, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there, except the one that the disciples had entered into. And they knew that Jesus had not gone with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were, in fact, now gone. Um, Verse number 23 says, there were some other boats there that had come from Tiberias to the place where they did eat the bread. Verse 24, when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also... Now, King James says took shipping. It means they got into boats. They also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Where have you been? And Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say unto you, you seek me, but not because you saw the miracles that I've done, but you seek me because you did eat of the loaves. And were filled. Labor not for the meat or the bread which perishes, 
But labor for the meat or the bread which endures unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give you. For him hath God the Father sealed or approved. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? And he answered them and said, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he hath sent, whom God hath sent. They said, therefore, unto him, What sign will you show us then that we may see it and believe? What work will you do? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, truly I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my father did. And my father is now giving you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which has come down from heaven and gives life unto the world. Then they said unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said to them, here it is, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger, and he that believes on me shall never thirst. By the way, can I just point out to you, did you notice the great number of times in these verses that we read that he refers to bread? I know he fed them with bread in the beginning of the chapter, but he's now talking to them about bread. There, there's obviously some significance to this, this thing of bread that Jesus is talking about. No less than eight times in the verses we read, he refers to bread or loaves of bread. And if you read all of John chapter number 6, 17 different times bread is mentioned. So what's the significance of bread? What is it that God wants us to think about or remember when we read about bread in this passage, uh, to be sure, but in the Bible as a whole? A couple of things. Just jot these things down. One of the things that God intends for us to be reminded of when we, uh, when we think about bread is that bread reminds us of God's provision. Would you jot that down somewhere? Bread reminds us of God's provision. When I was growing up, I was taught a child's prayer to pray over my meal. This is what our family prayed together when I was growing up. Uh, we would come to mealtime. We would say, I bet some of you prayed this, these same words, God is great, God is good. Did you ever pray this? Thank you, uh, God is great, God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his hands we all are fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. Right? That's, it's just an acknowledgement. I have food in front of me. There's bread on my table. I pause and I say, God, thank you. This is from you. We learned that as a, as a child. By the way, can I challenge you? Do you do that now? You, you don't put food on the table and just dive right in do you? Surely you don't do that, right? You, you, you demonstrate the fact that you remember that that bread comes from the Lord. Do you do that at your house? I hope you do. Teach your kids to pray over their meal and to say thank you to the Lord. Do it at work. Do it, do it when you're in a restaurant, when you're on your school campus. Bow your head and pray because the bread that you have is the reminder that God is your provider. In Leviticus, in the Old Testament, the Israelites were commanded when they would sow their fields 
And when the harvest came, they would bring in the grain, the wheat or the barley. And do you know what they were required to do under the law? They would take a handful of those barley sheaves or wheat sheaves or stalks and they would come and praise the Lord for the fact that he had provided them the grain they needed to make their bread. And it was called a wave offering. Literally, they would take these long stalks of wheat or barley and they would wave them before the Lord. And in doing so, they were saying, thank you, this is from you. You let the sun rise, you let the rain fall, and you gave growth to the, the seed that we had planted. Thank you, Lord, for this wheat or this barley. Then they would take that wheat or barley and they would grind that grain into flour and they would bake a, a, a loaf of bread and that first loaf of bread would be offered to God to say thank you that you are our provider. These offerings reminded them, these first gifts of their harvest reminded them that everything in the field and every loaf in the pantry has been given to me by God. He's my provider. By the way, we still do this. We, we do this today when we tithe our income. Do you do that? I hope you do. Do you tithe your income? Like, Do you put God first? In everything that you receive, you say, God, I'm going to give to you first, generously, give the tithe. Because do you know that when you do that, you're acknowledging something? You're saying, God, I wouldn't have anything if it weren't for you, and I'm going to invest this back into your work because it comes from you. This was a reminder when there's bread on my table, God is my provider. In Luke 11, the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. And he taught them with a model prayer, right? We call it the Lord's Prayer. He said, uh, this is the way that you should pray. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know, you know that prayer. Well, in, in that prayer, he taught them to pray this. Give us day by day, what? Our, our daily bread. God, we need you. You're our provider. The bread that I get every day, I recognize that it's from you. Even today, Jewish families, some Jewish families every day of the week, most Jewish families certainly on Shabbat pray a prayer known as the Hamotzi prayer. It is the prayer of thanksgiving to God for the bread. And listen to what they pray. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And we can learn this lesson, couldn't we? That every time bread is in my hands, I say, Lord, thank you that you are my provider. That's what God wants us to remember. Second thing that God wants us to remember as we think about bread is that bread often reminds us of God's presence. This is most beautifully seen in the tabernacle and in the temple in the Old Testament. Listen carefully. There was a, you would expect in the temple or the tabernacle there would be things like an altar, right? There was an altar there. You would expect there to be candelabras. There was a candelabra there in the temple. You would expect there to be a, a wash basin, a laver where they could ceremonially wash their hands and cleanse themselves. That was there. You would expect there to be an incense altar where they could burn incense that would rise up in worship to God. That was there. But what you might not expect in the, in the temple or the tabernacle was a table of bread. But it was there. It was called the table of showbread. And the word showbread means presence. The table of presence. And there were 12 loaves. Think about this. In the temple, 12 fresh-baked loaves of bread were there all the time to remind them of God's sustaining presence among them at all times. My bread reminds me that God is my provider. My bread reminds me that God is present with me. Number three, when we think about bread from the biblical perspective, bread reminds us of God's Passover. 
It, it reminds us of Jesus and the fact that he is our Passover lamb and that he gave his life for us. You know the passage, Matthew 26. The night Jesus was arrested, he took bread and he instituted what we call the Lord's table, the Lord's uh, supper or communion. He took bread and he blessed it and he broke the bread and then he said, eat this bread. It is my body which is broken for you. It reminds us. We did this this past Thursday over at East Campus. We gathered there just before the grand opening of, of that campus to say we're going to celebrate communion together when we broke bread and we remembered God's Passover. So every time bread comes to mind, every time you read of bread in the scripture, every time you sit down to a sandwich, every time there's bread on your table, remember God is your provider. He is present with you and Christ has died for you. Bread is intended to be a reminder for us. And, and here in John chapter number six, Jesus broke this bread, these little five crackers and multiplied it to demonstrate his power to provide for all of their needs. But more than that, more than that, he broke that bread and multiplied it in order to, watch this, to present himself as the true bread. To say to them that I have come to feed the hungry, to feed the world, not the bread uh, that's on your plate, but the bread of life, that eternal bread. And do you know what happened to most of them? Most of the people there who ate that bread, they missed the real meaning. It just went right over their head. Like us. It happens to us a lot, doesn't it? God's speaking truth to us and we just don't get it. It just went right over their head. And the reason they didn't get it is because, because like us, they were so interested in the more immediate bread that they were eating. That's all they could think about. And Jesus called them out for that in verses 22, 23, down through verse number 28. He challenged them on it. Write this down. This is what Jesus challenged them on. I think it's instructive for us. He challenged them that they and we often work for the wrong bread. We do. We often work for the wrong bread. Verses 22 down through verse number 28 describe the clamoring. There's not another way to say it. These people are clamoring for Jesus. The sun has set. He's fed them last night. Now the sun is set, it's morning, the sun rises, they're looking for Jesus. They come down to the shore, where's Jesus? Where did he, where did he go? Where are his disciples? Well, I don't see them. Well, their boat was right here, now their boat's gone. Obviously they've left. Somebody may have said, well, Jesus wasn't in the boat with them. I saw him sell out. He wasn't with them. I don't know where he's gone. They're looking around, where is he? The Bible says that some boats show up from Tiberias, looking. To, where's Jesus, the one that's feeding everybody? The word is out. Now, by the way, if you were to do your hand like this, put your thumb right up against your, uh, your pointer finger, you would have a pretty good illustration of the shape of the Sea of Galilee. And Tiberias is right here. And uh, where Jesus multiplied the loaves is about right here. And Capernaum, where they'll find Jesus, is about right here. So when the Bible says that they're sailing and looking for him in these places, it's all right here. It's a really short distance between them. They, they don't find him in the place where he had multiplied the bread. They've come from Tiberias looking for him. And so the Bible says that they, they go to Capernaum. And they finally, verse 25, they find him in Capernaum. And they said to him in verse 25, where have you been? When did you come here? Translation, we're hungry. It's breakfast time. Can you do that thing again? And Jesus said, you're looking for me 
Not because you saw the miracles I did, therefore you believe in me. You're looking for me because you ate loaves and you were filled. You don't want me, you want what I do for you. You don't love me, you love my gifts to you. He said you're, you're laboring for the wrong bread. In fact, he says to them in verse number 27, don't do that. Don't labor for the bread that perishes. Would you write that down? It's an interesting thought, perishing bread. There's perishing bread in our world. There is a bread that we can work for and consume that will never satisfy us. There's a bread that we can work for that eventually just becomes stale and moldy and it runs out and it ruins. It's just not bread that's going to help us. And yet, all over the world, people work for that bread. And in our worlds, we work for that bread very often. Let me suggest what it might look like. Write it down. Maybe worldly gain. You know, people gorge themselves on worldly gain, right? They work to gain more, get more, have more, possess more. And it's all about what I can gather in this world. And I'm just eating the bread of this world. Now, don't misunderstand me. Nothing wrong with, with, with uh, wealth in this world. Nothing wrong with having our needs met. Nothing wrong with worldly gain. Jesus met their needs in John 6. Nothing wrong with that. But what is wrong is when we seek to find satisfaction through that wealth. It's, it's perishing bread. What about this? What about not just worldly gain, but earthly pleasure? People all over the world live for this. They gorge themselves on what makes me feel good, what satisfies me, what scratches my itch. Can I have all the pleasure, all the recreation, all the self-aggrandizement, all of the things that make me feel good? And they just gorge on it, and yet it never satisfies. Thirdly, maybe it would be praise of men. Simply, we want to be the people that are lauded and loved and the ones who get the pats on the back. We want to be the ones being celebrated. And if I can just look good in the eyes of other people, if people will just look my way when I walk in the room, if I can just be the biggest presence in any room, the biggest fish in any pond, that's what I want to be. And yet that bread never satisfies. And so Jesus says, look, you're, you're feeding on perishing bread. It's never going to satisfy you, and it's certainly not going to give you eternal life. And so don't labor for that. But, he says, there is a bread that you should labor for. It's non-perishing bread. In verse number 27, he said, this is the bread that brings eternal life. In verse 35, notice that he says, if you eat this bread, you will never hunger Again, don't labor for that bread that's not going to satisfy, it's not going to give you eternal life. Labor for the bread that's going to satisfy all your longings and that's going to give you eternal life. And they're like, okay, tell us. How do we labor for that bread? We'll work for that bread. And if you read the next verse, he says, here's the labor. Here's the work of God for that. You just believe on the one that God has sent. That's all the work there is to it. You just believe on the Messiah the one that God has sent to you. Now, I don't want you to miss the significance of what Jesus is saying to them. Look at it in verse number 27. He says to them, Labor not for the meat which perishes, but for that meat which endures unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give you. For him, speaking of himself, for him God hath approved of, has sealed, put the seal of approval on. He's simply saying, I am God's Messiah, God's Christ. And then again in verse number 29, the one that God has sent into the world. He is saying, I am the promised one. What Jesus is saying is this. 
He's saying that he, Jesus, is the bread that satisfies forever. He is. And you may be spending your life gorging yourself on the bread of this world or the bread of pleasure or the bread of approval. And Jesus just says, stop, come to me because I am the one who satisfies. He says it plainly. Let me just give them to you really quickly. First of all, in verse number 27, I mentioned it already. He says, I'm your Messiah. I'm the one you're looking for. Stop looking. Don't look anywhere else. I'm the guy. I'm your Messiah. Verse number 27, verse 33, he said, I alone can give you eternal life. It's me. And number three, he said, I, he's plainly, I am the bread of life. You see that in verse number 35? Do you see it very plainly? I am the bread of life. Look at it in verse number 48. He says it again. We didn't read that far. But verse 48, I am the bread of life. Verse number 51, I am that living bread. Here's the whole point. Jesus has thousands of people following him. One evening they come with him. It's dinner time. He says, sit down, take five loaves, two fish. He multiplies it, feeds them all because he's enough. The next morning they say, we want more of that. And he said, that's the wrong bread. You need me. I'm the Messiah. I can give you eternal life. I'll satisfy you. You receive me. That's the message. So here's the question. Do you believe that? Do you believe that only Jesus can satisfy and only Jesus can give you eternal life? I hope you do. If you're a skeptic, if you're not sure, you're not alone because the people in this passage were skeptical. They were downright cynical, in fact. Because I want you to see their response. I can't even believe they responded this way. Look at what they say in verse number 31, verse number 30. He says to them, I want you to, to believe on him, verse 29, believe on me, that's the work of God, receive this bread of life. They then said to him, verse 30, what sign will you show us then that we may see it and believe on you? What work will you do, what miracle will you do that we should believe on you? If y'all are listening on both campuses, shout amen. amen. Hello? <laughs> what, what miracle will you do? Do you remember last night? Do you remember me taking five loaves and feeding 10,000 people? Is that not enough for you? Apparently not. Because look at the next verse. Verse number 31. Listen to their cynicism. Well, our fathers, our ancestors, did eat manna in the desert. He gave, it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Here's what they're saying. Hey, Jesus. That thing you did yesterday, that's pretty good. But that was one meal for a few thousand people, one time. But Moses, <laughs> Moses fed a couple of million people three meals a day of manna for 40 years. Can you do that? If you do that, we'll, can you believe the cynicism? If you do that, we'll follow you. Jesus has two answers for them. All right, let me, show you, let me show you the two answers. First of all, in verse number 32, here's his first answer. Jesus said to them, Verily I say unto you, Moses didn't give your fathers anything. <laughs> it wasn't Moses, it was my father who fed them that manna in the wilderness, and now he's giving you the true bread. That's his first answer. Moses didn't feed them. Second answer, it's my favorite answer. It's in verse number 49. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness, but they're dead. 
that great? Yeah, you're right. But they were eating temporary bread and they're dead. And now God sent me. I'm the true bread. I'm the living bread. And if you'll quit going after the manna of this world, and if you'll just receive me, you'll never hunger again, and you'll have eternal life. Wow. I am the bread of life. And so he says that in verse number 35, if you will come to me, and if you will receive me, or believe on me, and if you will receive me, verse 51, then you can be saved. Here's what I know. That I'm looking into the eyes of some of you who have been gorging yourself for years on the bread of this world. You have been looking for satisfaction. You have been looking for peace. You have been trying to fill that God-shaped void in your life. You've been trying to find satisfaction in people and in relationships and in love and, and in sex and in worldly gain and, and in big boy toys and in the next Corvette or the next Land Rover or the next bigger house or the place at the lake or the whatever. Nothing wrong with any of those things in themselves. But you've been looking for all those things to satisfy you and Jesus says, you know what? You don't need to go after that bread. It's perishing. I am the bread of life. Take me.